Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Twenty twenty three set the record for the most billion dollar disasters in the United States in one calendar year. As the name suggests, a billion dollar disaster is a weather or climate disaster event with losses exceeding one billion dollars. From flooding to drought, winter storms to hurricanes, there were twenty eight of these events. Our next guest is the lead scientist for the National Centers for the Environmental Information's Billion Dollar Weather and Climate Disasters Analysis. Welcome to the show, Adam Smith. Thank you for joining us on Weather Geeks. Thank you, Dr. Shepard, for having me. Well, it's a tradition on the podcast that I ask every guest how you became a weather geek. Yes. So I grew up in the Hickory, North Carolina area. And I think with a lot of your prior guests, there were seminal moments in your childhood with extreme weather events. You actually experienced them firsthand. So on my short list would be Hurricane Hugo in 1989. A lot of damage, even well inland as it came through Charleston, Charlotte, Hickory. But then we can jump forward to 1993, Superstorm 1993. I was at a friend's house and we sledded for an entire week because I could not get home. We had a couple feet of snow near hurricane force wind gusts. Um, also in, uh, in you know, my undergraduate days at North Carolina State University, we had um, Hurricane Floyd come through. So I've always been fascinated with the earth, with how the different systems interact with society, with economics, with just our day-to-day life. And uh, here I am today doing a job that I really love. Well, we, we thank you for joining us. I think you're an inaugural guest uh, on the Weather Geeks, in terms of your appearances, uh, so we always love to have new guests. We like our uh, reoccurring guests as well. So, as I mentioned, Adam, Ale- I'm sorry, Alex is the lead scientist for the U.S. billion dollar. It actually is Adam Smith. Uh, some, yes. some, some of my notes say Alex Smith as well, but it is Adam Smith because I've known of Adam for some time. So, um, it, you really are the lead scientist for the U.S. billion dollar weather and climate disasters analysis. So. Before we get into what that is, can you tell the listeners and viewers a little bit about what the National Centers for Environmental Information is and then what that program is about? Yes, and NOAA's National Centers for Environmental Information used to be called the National Centers for, or NCDC, uh, which had a focus on weather and climate extremes, looking at different trends and anomalies doing ingest quality control and developing products and services for um, a a wide variety of uh, decision makers and users. Um, But then several years ago, we actually merged with the National Oceanic Data Center and Geophysical Data Center. So now we have oceans, geophysics, weather, and climate all together. And I think we're at something like 50 petabytes of data um, and it's increasing exponentially. So um, we have hundreds and hundreds of different products and services across more than 500 uh, different um, federal and, and academic and contract support personnel. And so it's a, it's a fascinating place to work and it's always evolving. And um, 
and it, it's headquartered in Asheville, North Carolina, where I am based. And within that center, there are, are an array of things that go on. It's really one of the gems and jewels of our federal infrastructure for weather and climate and other types of data. So we thank you all and shout out to Deacar and one of the colleagues that I know very well there. But in terms of this, let's let's get into this. So first of all, let me set the stage. I mean, we know that 2023 was the warmest year on record and something that many people may not know because I suspect they probably heard that bit of news. There were 28 weather climate disasters last year that total losses in excess of a billion dollars. And in many cases, it's well beyond $1 billion. So tell us a little bit about this program and how you assess, arrive at those numbers. Yes. So um, this program and analysis goes back to the year 1980. And the reason it starts in 1980 is because that's when the best public and private sector data is homogeneous over space and time. Looking at the 16 different asset classes that we capture across 12 different public and private sector partners for seven different hazards. So um, the reason this is uh, which is one product at NCEI is because it's important to understand how these different trends and extremes interface with our increasing exposure, our vulnerability, and of course, the um, in influence of climate change on some of these extremes that lead to billion dollar disasters. So we're bringing the best public and private sector data together um, to do a total direct loss analysis across 16 different asset classes, including damage to homes, businesses, government buildings like schools, all the contents of these structures, even time element losses like business interruption or loss of living quarters while your home is being repaired or rebuilt. But even public infrastructure, which sometimes the private sector doesn't focus on as much, we look work with data from our uh, public sector partners like FEMA, Small Business Administration, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, damage to roads, bridges, levee systems, electrical grids. Um, but of course, even agriculture, our partner with USDA's uh, data on crop insurance, that's valuable for the impact of heat, uh, freeze events, cold events, winter storm events, and of course, drought. Uh, you mentioned the $28 billion disasters. In fact, the most costly of those 28 events last year was drought. It was a $14.5 billion event. Uh, and it had a, a strong heat component to it as well, which unfortunately killed several hundred people across uh, many southwestern and southern states. So um, it's, a, it's a very deep, rich, complex data set, and we're constantly adding more facets and information to it. You know, we're talking with Adam Smith of NOAA. He's at the National Centers for Environmental Information. I, I wanted to kind of march through uh, some of those events. You mentioned drought, and I think that's one that people may not really immediately think about because we often think of these sort of more telegenic episodic events like the hurricane or uh, tornadic outbreak, if you will, but drought can be very costly. And reality is some of that economic loss from drought on those farms, it's passed on to us when we're going to the grocery store because basic law of supply and demand says if you're reducing supply in a product uh, that that's going to lead to price increases. And so it's just one of those ways I like to sort of connect the dots for people to their kitchen table issues in some of these events. So beyond drought, what else caught your uh, attention this year? Yeah, another um, interesting facet of 2023 was we had four, really at least four separate billion dollar flood events. So from the atmospheric rivers, you remember uh, early in 2023 across much of California to the Fort Lauderdale flooding in April, 
to the um, northeastern flooding in July, particularly in Vermont, but even uh, New York and Pennsylvania and New Jersey had some flooding. Uh, and then uh, we had an East Coast storm and flooding in late December. Uh, so those four billion-dollar flood events were actually tied for the most billion-dollar flood events, inflation-adjusted uh, for any other year on record. And, and that's part of a larger trend we're seeing. For example, in the 2010s decade, the United States as a whole had more billion-dollar flood events than we had in the 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s combined. So that's not just an increase in exposure and vulnerability, which we know is taking place as people move to hazard-prone areas like Florida or Texas. Uh, but it's also, you know, we know the atmosphere is warming, which therefore holds more water vapor and uh, loads the dice for extreme rainfall, which we just see more and more of these days, particularly in the central and the eastern part of the country. You know, as we're recording this podcast, uh, there's tremendous flooding that we've seen out in San Diego and I believe parts of Texas and the Gulf are, uh, are expecting a flooding as well. And so I'm, I'm glad you brought up this point because... Uh, Yes, more people and more stuff is in the way of these disasters, these hurricanes, these rain events. But the reality is, and is that the the top one to two percent rain events are raining with more intensity than they did thirty or forty years ago. And your data shows that data recently reported in the fifth National Climate Assessment reports that. So, you know, oftentimes you see people on Twitter and in certain spaces saying, well, you know, they're not accounting for the fact that they're just more condos or more streets, and more buildings in the way of these things. And so that's why the numbers are going up. That's certainly in the equation, sure. But that does not, as you know, negate the fact that uh, we're seeing extremes as well. So drought, flooding. So two sides of the ledger of the water extremes, if you will, that's counterintuitive to people. So, and I've, I know I've been in places, Congress and other places where people want an answer. It's climate change causing more wet events or more dry events. And my answer as well, it's both. How, how do you respond to that? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's complicated because it is counterintuitive. So in the West, as you mentioned, um, you know, there's, there's a higher evaporation potential. So droughts can come on much quicker and they can last longer and be more intense. California has seen that really in spades during the 2010s in particular, but they are punctuated uh, by heavy rain events. I believe in um, uh, the the Orville, Lake Orville flooding event, the dam that was destroyed. So you get this weather whiplash um, in, in places like the West Coast between uh, just the, the extreme heavy rainfall potential that punctuates the that longer duration drying out the, the the land is more uh vulnerable to and it's already semi-arid anyway it just adds to that equation um and, and then one thing that i think is important and we see in the data is you know this newer concept which i think the nca and other uh important publications really do a j good job shining the light on is these compound disasters you know these disasters that happen in a tight space-time frequency and the reason i bring that up is well when you've got these long duration, intense drought events like we see uh, in California for many years since the year 2000, that also lengthens the wildfire season. And what that led to is in 2017, 2018, 2020, and 2021, California had off the charts um, wildfire seasons. Thankfully, uh, thankfully, the last few years hasn't been so bad in California, but we remember what just happened in Canada um, last year. It was just tremendous uh, wildfire impacts. And so a lot of the extremes and our vulnerability to these extremes are connected. And when we come back, uh, we'll continue our conversation with Adam Smith of NOAA. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Adam Smith from the National Centers for Environmental Information. It's a center within... NOAA, which is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So we're marching through some of these events. We've talked about sort of the extremes on both sides of the ledger in terms of water. Uh, I, were any heat waves in there or what were wildfires? I imagine that there some of those fell into this $2023 billion sort of list as well. Yeah, of course, the um, August 8th Hawaii firestorm uh, on the island of Maui was you know, very tragic, the most deadly uh, single wildfire, I believe, in a century um, with 100 um, fatalities. But just the damage, and that's going to take many years to recover and, and clean up and rebuild um, in that area. And, you know, it, it's that was, you know, a juxtaposition of, you know, high wind dryness, but also, as we know, the, the urban environment, the human built environment with um, you know, utilities like like we see have seen in California also play a role into creating a hazardous situation into something that unfortunately turns into a disaster. Um, we also had two uh, hurricane events, Hurricane Adelia, uh, which we were fortunate only hit the more rural part of the Florida Panhandle, and even Typhoon Mawar that impacted Guam. It was actually Guam's first billion dollar disaster. The caveat there is that most of the damage was actually due to uh, impacts to U.S. military facilities. So I believe that's the fourth billion dollar disaster in the last six or seven years that's done a billion dollars or more to DOD infrastructure. Um, the, the impacts to homes, businesses, and other 
and roads and, and, and such in Guam were less than ha- uh, were about 500 million, but it was the DOD impacts. Um, but back to heat, yeah, the heat wave, the heat dome, as we remember, across much of the south, the southwest, the central states in uh, 2023 was really impactful. Um, several hundred lives have been lost. Um, and what we do is we we often look at the heat wave component if it's coupled spatially with a drought event, which is not always the case, but more times than not it is. Then we account the direct and indirect fatalities from the heat component and add that to the whole drought event, which is a seasonal scale, regional scale type event. Yeah, we, we certainly had the, the the array of events this 2023. And I, the point you made about Adalia making landfall in the rural areas certainly devastating for our, our, the folks there in that big bend of Florida and those rural communities. So we, we we definitely are thinking of them. But I think your point was that that damage would have even been significantly more had it been in an urbanized space where there is even more infrastructure uh, in place. And so uh, I know that, you know, I, I went to Florida State and Tallahassee and FSU were on alert because it was mm-hmm. perhaps a couple of kilometers or miles jogging westward uh, that Tallahassee, Florida would have been been in the loop. And there's just more stuff in Tallahassee, but certainly those those folks in the Big Bend area and those rural areas. And the other interesting thing, uh, Adam, about Edalia, from our perspective here in Georgia, there were hurricane warnings and watches in South Georgia still. Uh, you know, and I saw that with Hurricane Michael back in 2018 as well. So yeah. does that bring to bear as we, we're seeing these hurricanes move further inland here in Georgia, much of our agricultural activity is in southwest Georgia, uh, where in, in the past, these hurricanes weakened a little bit and they bring a little beneficial rain, but now they're still packing hurricane and force and beyond winds. Is, is that going to up our totals even more? Yeah, unfortunately, it will. And and you're exactly right. Um, it These these hurricane events, um, as, as they move inland, they unload all the precipitation and create flooding and damage to many different sectors particularly agriculture in the Southeast, even forestry, um, timber, uh, commercial timber as well. Um, and so, yeah, even though you're not, uh, let's say live in a coastal County, even if you're within 50 miles of the coast or a hundred miles of the coast, you still have to pay attention to, uh, certainly the watches and warnings and, and be aware and, and protect your property and of course, protect your, your family or your, your own life and, and expect, um, the unexpected. I think that Really, since the year 2017, for me doing this type of analysis with our team, 2017 was a, somewhat of an inflection point in terms of weather and climate extremes really having a frequency, a cost, and a diversity that have just been kind of on a different level. I think we've had 137 separate billion-dollar disasters over the last seven complete years, 2017 through 2023. And the cumulative cost of those in today's dollars is $1.1 trillion, And that's a conservative estimate. Wow. That's just what we can measure. So we have our work cut out for us uh, between the 20th century infrastructure that was designed and built, and now a lot of that existing in the 21st century climate with more energy in the atmosphere and the ocean that enhances these extreme events. And I think to your point about expecting the unexpected, one of the things that I tell policymakers or just the public or decision makers is the benchmarks in your mind don't apply anymore. Uh, you may have a certain hurricane or a certain heat wave or flood in your mind is what you lived through or the worst ever. And we made it through that one from don't need a new policy or on that. But as you just alluded to, the, the benchmarks are different now. The, the sort of things that you lived through as a kid or maybe a young adult 
those weather events are likely different now. Uh, now, well, 19 of the 28 events on your list, I believe, were severe weather, perhaps tornadic mm-hmm. weather, derecho, hail, gust. Typically, have you seen that those are the most uh, costly each year, or is it typically hurricanes? So, in total, hurricanes are the most costly of all these events we uh, have analyzed. I mean, and it makes sense. We have a lot of assets and population density along the coast, and hurricanes are just powerful uh, machines that Mother Nature throws at us. Um, But yeah, this year was an outlier in terms of it actually challenged and even surpassed the totals inflation adjusted from 2011. Uh, from severe convective storm. So it is the most costly severe convective storm year we have in our in analysis. Um, so it, it was a bit unusual in terms of the total count and also the total cost. And um, so we use a, cons- a consumer price index uh, in, to adjust for inflation because that is the most comprehensive index. Um, there are other indices you could use, but you know we've, we've worked with uh, economists at the Treasury and the Bureau of Economic Analysis, and they agree that CPI is a good um, first order adjustment to look at that piece. But certainly the price of rebuilding has probably gone into inflating some of these um, severe convective storm events to be even more costly last year than they would have been you know, four or five years ago, pre-pandemic. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Adam Smith from NOAA. And we're talking about the 28 events last year, 2023, that had losses in excess of $1 billion. Now, I want to pop the hood. You know, we've, we've heard about the events. I, I want to pop the hood here. This is one of the things hopefully you value about the Weather Geeks podcast. We'll get, we get these experts come on and we can kind of really dig a little bit. Give us some insight into the actual process. So 2023 ends. How do you go about then sort of pulling together this list or this ranking? What's sort of the sort of nuts and bolts of that with your team? Yes. So um, historically, this used to be a biannual analysis. Then it jumped to a quarterly analysis about six years ago. And just last year, we uh, changed the cadence to monthly because we're just having so many extremes and it's a better uh, form of communication. So we have a, about 12 different public and private sector partners that provide data access to us. Um, so that would be the insurance and reinsurance industry, you know, Munich Reinsurance, Swiss Reinsurance, various property claim service for just as some examples, but also important federal partners like FEMA's presidential, presidential disaster declaration data or the National Flood Insurance Program data. Uh, the USDA Risk Management Agency is an important partner, as well as the National Interagency Fire Center, um, the Energy Information Administration, and of course, state agencies and disaster uh, response uh, units that provide reports. All that information is gathered um, on about a weekly basis, but it's, it's, it's analyzed on a monthly basis. And so 
doing this type of analysis, of course, requires a broad array of public and private sector data, like I just mentioned. Um, and so we're, we're analyzing hurricanes, severe convective storms, winter storms, crop freezes, wildfire events, drought and heat wave events, and inland or river basin flood events. And I'd mentioned that uh, from, from all this data, um, we're trying to capture total direct losses. So that would be damage to homes, to businesses, to government buildings, contents of those structures, time element losses, uh, damage to infrastructure, roads, bridges, levee systems, electrical grids. Um, of course, damage to vehicles, boats, even offshore energy platforms and U.S. military bases that are impacted, and um, agriculture and forestry assets. But what's equally important to know is what we are not able to account for, which would include things like natural capital or environmental degradation. Those are non-market losses, so there's not really consistent data or frameworks to capture that yet, but we're working on that actually with an intergovernmental group I could mention. Uh, we also don't capture things like the mental and physical health care-related costs. And we know a lot of these extremes do hit vulnerable populations um, that have a more difficult time sometimes rebounding from these extreme impacts. And finally, the supply chain ripple effects outside of a hazard region, that is also not captured so it's contingent business interruption. So all that being said, this is a conservative loss with what we can measure, but we know there, there are other things we need to con continue to work on to include. Um, and one example would be wildfire smoke. That's been so ubiquitous across many of the Northeastern and really the whole East Coast uh, was impacted by Canadian wildfire smoke for weeks uh, last year. And, and so parts of the population who um, are more vulnerable to uh, to that particular uh, air quality, you know, it could enhance mortality, morbidity statistics in a, in a really negative way. And so that's an example where we and other partners need to do some more work to try to quantify what that is because it's a real impact. So you mentioned something that I wanted to amplify. I was just on a, 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 a briefing with some congressional staffers in Washington this morning. And one of the points that one of my pa fellow panelists made is oftentimes with things like the NCA report or the IPCC report, no. there's this notion that climate scientists are exaggerating or hyperbolic or doom and gloom and the world's going to end when in fact, as dire as many of these reports are, they're often consensus reports that are sort of conservative in their estimates or of what's going on. And you just seem to amplify or echo that, that these numbers that are being reported on these billion dollar events may be on the low end of the, based on your metrics. And, and in doing this, as long as you've done this, are there are certain regions that are emerging as particularly vulnerable or is it sort of equal access or opportunity? No, I think that several states in, have been impacted more heavily in recent years. We know Louisiana had, what, five or six tropical cyclones impacted in 2020 and 2021. Hurricane Laura, Hurricane Ida, I remember. Uh, yeah, I think that even actually went over New Orleans. Uh, Florida, you know, had a few hurricanes with, uh, of course, Hurricane Ian, uh, in 2022 and, and Hurricane Nicole and some other events. But but then California also is part of the mix in terms of the water issues, water quality, water availability with the drought, um, the wildfire seasons it's had uh, in more recent years, 2070, 2018, 2020, 2021. Um, and, and California is an example where you get this compound disaster with cascading impacts. Drought leads to longer wildfire seasons, which lead to burn scar potential which then are exacerbated by atmospheric rivers that enhance debris flows. And so there's a, an actual linkage between the hazards if they're close enough in space time. So what we've seen is, unfortunately, certain uh, 
property insurance companies have um, uh, gone bankrupt. In fact, I think it's a couple dozen uh, in Louisiana, in parts of Florida, even California. And, and unfortunately, that means they're not underwriting risk anymore for homes and um, auto in particular. And that that really is an important part of the stability of everyday life in terms of uh, being able to know that, you know, financially you, you could be secure if uh, a, a disaster was to impact your home, your business, your your property. So yeah, the um, several states have really had a, a tough run, and hopefully, um, they. I think the silver lining is maybe they can learn uh, something from all these disasters. What is extra vulnerable? Maybe what's also, uh, you know, has a high level of resilience, and because every disaster is different, and so learning from that. And trying to implement different forms of mitigation, I think, is really the key to uh, mitigate future losses. Talking with Adam Smith from NOAA, and really last question is one that's been on my mind as we've been talking today on Weather Geeks. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. How do you, who are your users of this information? And if not necessarily who is using it, who would you think would benefit from using this type of information? Yeah, I think this information provides uh different types of baselines to really look at the data and understand what's happened, where did it happen, why did it, uh, perhaps, uh, why did it happen, uh, and try to understand better um, how, how to minimize future risk. One thing we did uh, in the last two years, we worked with the development of the FEMA National Risk Index, and uh, we kind of built a layer on top of their index, looking at compound, county, and census tract hazard and socioeconomic vulnerability. So in our risk mapping section of our website, you can compare at the county level or the census tract level, any combination of these weather and climate extremes we measure with the billion dollar disasters with a lot of, um, with about 10 different variables from um, the social vulnerability index, which is a kind of a gold standard index. And so you can see over the last 44 complete years at the state level, all the impacts, you can normalize it by population, by GDP, uh, by, by t tax based revenue, um, just different ways to normalize the data. And then you could also look at the risk and see what the risk profile looks at at a more finer granularity. So it, it's, it's just, it's a tool in the toolbox. And I think the federal government has done a really good job in recent years to develop, to develop new tools to add to the toolbox because no one's going to develop a single tool or a single interface or product that's going to answer everyone's questions. So I think that we we have enough collective challenges out there in terms of trying to um, live with these enhanced extreme events. Uh, and, and so, of course, data is first and foremost to better understand uh, what's happened and perhaps how we can better learn from that and uh, protect ourselves moving forward. So one, one of the producers of the Weather Geeks podcast is Dalton Molnax. And he, in preparing our production notes, he wanted to wanted me to sort of ask you a question about duration versus scale or size. So for example, California flooding with those atmospheric rivers, sort of a long-term multiple river, multiple day up to a month event versus an event that has a large spatial scale. Mm -hmm. Does one drive costs more than the other, or is it really kind of the compound, compounded effect? I'd say it's a compounded effect. I think the intensity of event, whether you're talking about drought or a hurricane or a tornado outbreak, the intensity um, probably has a more acute impact as far as financial costs and unfortunately loss of life. But the area and the duration of an event also are pretty important in terms of uh, how 
you know, aggregating losses? Actually, that's a really excellent question. And we haven't probably interrogated that as much as we should, but that's another example of how you could use this information that we have in our analysis and add some value to it or, or try to, to look at it a different way. So uh, excellent question. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This has been a really important discussion. Uh, it's depressing, so I, I won't say it's been a great discussion, but it's an important discussion for our listeners and our viewers to understand the context, because as we see these extreme events in climate change, there's always the so what, uh, it's polar bears, it's 2080, but these extreme events likely based on attribution studies, the NCAA and the IPCC, these compounding and increasingly costly disasters have the DNA of climate change in them. And that's just the reality. So, uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll see you next time on Weather Geeks. Weather Geeks.